still in track and field, as visually impaired, whether you're totally blind and you have the guy runner or whether you are just like uh, T13 like me or T12, if you step on the line or over the line, you still get DQ. They don't give you no leniency on that. Uh -huh. So you will, uh -huh. you will get disqualified, yeah. So it's really navigating that because basically, I guess that's what really makes you the professional athlete especially when it comes to disabilities, because they're they're saying, okay, we know you guys have this disability, but we still going, yeah, we're gonna put some things to kind of not help you, but kind of like allow you to run around the track or jump as far as you can, but we're not gonna make it easy for you guys. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst, now exploring human performance through podcasting, coaching, jujitsu, and endurance athletics. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Markeith Price. Markeith is a visually impaired track and field athlete from Baltimore, Maryland, specializing in the 100 meter, 200 meter, and 400 meter sprints and long jump events. At the Rio 2016 games, he achieved his best Paralympic result, a fifth place finish in the 400 meter. Markeith's dream is to reach the medals podium at the 2021 Tokyo Paralympics, and of course, strive for the gold medal. At age three, Markeith was diagnosed with optic atrophy, a rare and permanent visual impairment caused by damage to the optic nerve. In Markeith's case, his optic nerves were not fully developed at birth. Never allowing his loss of vision to slow down his mind or his body, Markeith embraced sport and fell in love with running. Markeith is a college graduate and is passionate about promoting the value of education. In 2013, Markeith founded the ICU Foundation which serves the Baltimore community by providing scholarships and resources to visually impaired students and funding to various schools of the blind. He's also working on getting his master's in information system to support his entrepreneurial ventures and post-pro running career. In this interview, we discuss how Markeith has had to adjust his training due to the pandemic, what it's been like for him to live with optic atrophy, his love of running and fashion, and his quest to medal at the 2021 Tokyo Paralympics. And so, without further ado, my interview with Markeith Price. Yeah, thanks, Markeith, for coming on the show. Yeah. Really appreciate oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. So uh, what's it been like for you to like adjust to the whole COVID-19 environment that we're all living in? Oh, man. Um, I guess for me, it hasn't been too much of adjustment for me other than just my training, per se. Um, I've had to, I've been at my parents' house, me and my uh, wife, we were living like in uh, a different location and we moved over back over here just for now because of all the colleges and things like that. They've been like shut down and then you got yeah. tracks. Then they're like, I, I tried to train at a track uh, that's like really close by other than the college. 
And unfortunately, when the pandemic first started, all the people in the gyms migrated to the track. And because I'm visually impaired, it was difficult navigating through all of those people. So, I mean, that's kind of the only adjustment, just being back here and not having a track to train at. But fortunately enough, I actually built a gym in my parents' house like five years ago before like the Rio Paralympic Games. And okay. so um, I got like weights and everything downstairs already. And then I just run around the neighborhood. I'm still able to like navigate because I've been running this around this neighborhood since I was a kid. And so, yeah, that's one thing that I, I've been able to really just navigate that whole process. So the adjustment for me really has been too difficult. I know a lot of people are, um, have been talking about like the isolation of everything. And for me, I don't mean to say it like that, but having a disability, sometimes you feel isolated already, mm-hmm. especially when you're in a world that sees different than kind of who you are as a person. And um, so I've already kind of dealt with isolation as a, as just a life thing already. So for me, I know that's something that everyone kind of was talking about at the early stages. Like, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do that. And um, just, I mean, there are some things that as a visually impaired person, you know, you get, I won't say that it, it's a, it's, I can't do, but it's a more of like, sometimes there's limitations that you have to figure out another way to, like get the objective done. So adjustment, I think I've been adjusting pretty well. Sorry yeah. for the long. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, and so where are you living now? So I'm back in Baltimore. Baltimore. I actually was living in Baltimore, but all the way, um, it was like 30 minutes from here. So okay. um, I'm still in Baltimore, just on a different side. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how, how tough was it for you to hear that, hear the news that the Tokyo Paralympic Games was going to be moved to next year? That was, uh, that was rough, but also, once again, like, used to, like, knowing that I have to shift when change happens, because change happens so fast in this world sometimes. And so, I mean, that was, that that was rough, especially that whole month of, like, April before they made the decision like because it's like oh I don't have a track I don't have uh this or that but you know I'm gonna make it happen and then they kept on talking about still having it and I'm like man that's crazy it's like so unfair that's how I felt it's like man that's unfair to me and to other people that don't have the track or or facilities to train at but I came back here knowing that there are many other people in the world right now that never had a track anyway. So, um, but yeah, hearing that news was like definitely very hard at first. And then I was like, okay, like it's going to be next year. That's fine. And uh, we'll see what happens. So, yeah. Yeah. And so how have you had to like adjust your training due to the, uh, like due to the pandemic, 
you obviously you yeah. said earlier that you have a some weights in the basement and like mm-hmm. like where do you usually like do your do your runs and like your sprints and stuff so that's i guess that's the thing i i have had to adjust uh my training a lot it's more of like on the fitness base versus like being specific and like running a whole lot of sprints of course like i'm running around the neighborhood um and this is a quiet my parents live in a quiet neighborhood and they've been at this house really since i was like three years old so i'm running like miles and stuff and i am running like little short hill sprints and because i'm visually impaired like pretty it's it's weird but not weird at the same time it's not weird to me but i I pretty much know this whole neighborhood i know all the cracks know the curves the rocks so running in around the neighborhood has something that i've always done around here so that's been cool but I've definitely had to just work more on like fitness instead of like being able to just sprint places like or sprint like really fast. Yeah. Like 300 meters, 400 meters, different things like that. Um, because I guess not being able to get to, there's so many different tracks in Baltimore, but unfortunately the lack of I guess the mobility that I do have when it comes to like getting around sometimes like that can be kind of challenging um and that's why I, where I was living there was multiple places to go to mm-hmm. but they're 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 closed right now so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so just yeah just adjusting yeah. Um, yeah have you found like the the hill sprints and like they like the longer distance runs have have has helped your I guess your forte and your strength and like sprinting. I think so. I'm, I definitely think, I think, I think it, I mean, I, like I said, 2015, 2016, I was here for like, I came back over here cause that came back to Baltimore. I was living in San Diego, California. Okay. And I came back over here um, when I got married and literally, um, I had really hardly a track to be able to just access every single day. And I was like, I uh, took the money that I had and, um, and then I, uh, <laughs> I bought like these rubber weights, like for uh, like Olympic lifting. So yeah. like just the bumper plates and I kind of like found like, uh, bought like some squat, squat racks for the side and actually my father-in-law he actually like gave me this whole like bench and like squat rack like this whole set of things that he had in the basement that he had bought for my my brother-in-law uh like when he was a kid or something like that and so um or when he was in high school and i mean yeah so it's uh it definitely I had that and I made the games back then. So I know that I believe that what I'm doing now is still preparing me to make Tokyo 2021. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so shifting gears here a little. Um, so you grew up in Baltimore. Yep. What was it like to like grow up in, in Baltimore? Um, it was, uh, it was cool. 
Um, for me, anyway, I got a great support system. So for me, I live in Baltimore County, which is kind of like the outside of Baltimore City. Okay. And, um, you know, I had good family, good friends. And, um, of course, you know, there's different things you got to watch out for um, growing up in Baltimore. But there are a lot of positive people here in Baltimore. So, um, yeah, it was good. Okay. And so you weren't in the city. You were kind of like on the outskirts. Yeah, I was kind of on the outskirts of it. Uh, Baltimore, like I said, Baltimore County. Um, I live in an area. I lived in an area called Woodlawn, and uh, for the most part, I mean, I always say if you live in the county, you kind of grow up in the city. So like, especially if you have family there. So like, I would be at my grandmother at my great grandmother's house all the time and different things like that and i also was on the baltimore city track club so it was called baltimore ed waters so i had to be in the city my my high school was in this in the city i mean there's multiple things that baltimore is really big but it's really small at the same time so like you you got to go through the city and you got to go through the county to do certain things. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what did your parents do for work? Um. So my mom works for Social Security and my dad, he's an accountant and he works at a firm, at a, uh, a tax practice firm. It's like a small black owned firm. He's been working there for about 20, yeah, 20 years. Um, since I was uh, about 10 years old. Um, so yeah, he's an accountant. Okay. And did they encourage you when you were growing up to play like a lot of sports and be active? Definitely. I think more so my dad than anything, my mom, she just wanted to make sure that I was okay with whatever it was. I've always wanted to play sports just on my own. My parents always said like, for me, there was this, um, what I, what I want to say, just I was already self-motivated just to do things already. And but my parents definitely encouraged me, especially my dad, because it was something he grew up on is playing sports kind of like helped him and shaped him who he was. Yeah. Where, where do you think that self-motivation came from, like from an early age? Man, I don't know. just just, um honestly i feel like it's just maybe something god has given to me um something i feel in my heart and my stomach just to like be i i feel like i don't have a choice it's either be motivated or not and um like keep moving even even when I have the down like the down moments like everyone has like those those moments where they're feeling some type of way or 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 feeling the lack of motivation I still feel the motivation even when I'm in that state of of thinking and so like I said it's like I don't it's just something that's just automatically in me um and I see that like I gotta I gotta keep moving forward. So, yeah, that fire's almost always been kind of burning inside you. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. That's fire. Yeah, it's always it's always been been there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, how old were you when you got diagnosed with optic atrophy? So I got diagnosed at the age of three. Yep, at the age of three. Okay. And what is optic atrophy like? Maybe explain for the people listening, like kind of what it is and like how it impacts like someone's vision. So optic nerve atrophy is basically when your optic nerves, which those are the nerves connected to your eye, uh, basically like your retina to your brain. They're like the wires that are sending the signals. They pretty much get uh, either damaged or weren't fully developed. So as a young kid, they wanted to see how my optic nerves were developing because they never like formed to the point where it was like a clear, like obviously like 2020 or anything like that. So basically... Yeah, optic nerve atrophy is when your nerves are, aren't, aren't fully developed or they're damaged. Okay. And so how does, that, how does that affect your vision? So it affects it a lot. Um, I know it's weird to say once again, because I just said I was running around the neighborhood, and I know that's kind of hard for people to, like, understand. But... Um, I have two different like eye uh, acuities, which in my left eye, I can't really see out too well. So this eye right here, mm -hmm. like it's, I mean, I can see out of it, but not really. They really call the vision in that eye finger vision because it's like I can see images, but it's like, it's like, I always explain it like it's a, a Picasso picture or something like that, looking at it, at some type of picture that is like a collage of just like stuff that you kind of can't really make out, but you may be able to create a shape just because you think it's something. Yeah. And so in my right eye, when my right eye like is open, like if I'm not like this, which I'm not walking around like that, <laughs> I really, I really can kind of, see a little bit better but as my right eye is open because my right eye is the better eye my left eye really can't see too much out of it maybe something from the corner of my eye but that's about it looking forward like i'm pretty sure i've learned over time that my left eye does register stuff but i don't i don't it doesn't feel like i'm actually looking out of it so, um, okay. Am I right? Does that, that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So it like, so it's like, I'm really looking out of one eye. That's how it always feels. And so my right eye is a little bit better, but it's still, um, it's considered, um, to be visually impaired. And that one kind of fluctuates. Like, as I always explain to people, my vision is about, it's uh five to ten feet is my clarity like the the cl when it's something not super tiny but like if i'm like i guess social type of settings if i'm talking to somebody or something like that five feet probably will be 
like the place that like I can see you pretty clear. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to be able to see all of the details, but I can see your face. I can see your eyes. I can see your nose. Um, I can see the, your skin, um, different things like that. 10 feet, I'll probably be able to make you out maybe if I know you. If you have like, if I saw you that day and you had a certain color on, depending on if the, if there's not another person wearing the same thing. But um, yeah, so 10 feet is kind of like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little gray area, but my vision in the right eye really, after that, it's just big stuff that I can really see. So like trees, houses, cars, different things like that, but nothing really in clear detail up until maybe, like I said, five feet. So I know what the world looks like. It just it has to be a lot closer. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And is it like, does it affect your like depth perception at all or like peripheral vision or is that? Um, I think it does, but I think I don't really, it definitely, well, it most definitely do in my left eye. Right. But like I think I can only, I feel that I can only see out. I'm doing this because I can only see out of the peripheral of my left eye sometimes. That's mm-hmm. how I feel because I can't really, like, if my eye is looking at you, it, I, it, my brain is not picking, picking that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but my right eye, I definitely, I definitely can see out of it, but I think I'm more of using my sixth sense when it comes to that, like the feeling. So yeah, depth perception, I'm not sure, honestly. Um, I've gotten measured for it, but I know that there are certain things that I've been able to like do and it's just because of I guess my competitive spirit. So like when the, the eye doctor would be testing me, maybe <laughs> I would just be guessing at something or whatever it may be. Yeah. Plus it's something you've lived with your whole life, so it's just what you're used to. Yeah. Yep. And so will there like will your vision decrease over time or will it like remain the same i mean hopefully not but (laughs) i don't know um i mean they uh i had to go to the eye doctor a lot when i was a kid and um they were just monitoring me and just to see because most of the times optic nerve atrophy is a rare rare i mean normally you have like a specific title to it because they have like something called levers um they have some other optic nerve uh atrophy type of like i don't want to call them dis- disorders and um but for my case mine is pretty not I'm pretty sure there's many other people, but it's it's a definitely a rare thing. So they wanted to monitor me as a kid. Um, I used to go to Wilmer Eye Center, uh, which is uh, Johns Hopkins. And yeah, so I'm I'm not sure if it'll get worse, but hopefully, hopefully not. Okay. Um, definitely prepared 
not all the way. I don't think you know, can all the way be prepared for that. But just mentally, if that does happen, like I'm definitely prepared for that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when does your love for running really kick in? Like, like how old are you? And like, like man, this is something I really enjoy. I think sports has always been in me just from when my dad put me on the soccer field at like three years old. So running, I think, really kicked in, I would say, man, I know that my dad showed me like the 1996 Olympics and I I liked running then, but I liked all sports. I, I just knew that I wanted to be an athlete, like period just that's what I'm going to do yeah um but I think really when my cousin started running and I saw him out on the track and we would go to track meets and I think I was about nine years old and so then at age 10 my dad and mom they enrolled me into a, a track a track club and from then on I've been running track ever since since 10 years old wow and what is it about track that you like really enjoy? Um, man, so many things. Uh, I mean, the first thing that most people are going to say is just the freedom and the connection to just have that freedom to go out and be able to just run freely. Like whether I had, a guy runner or not, like I, I actually, I'm not sure if you know what a guy runner is, but I, I don't use one, but I think just being able to run period, anybody, even if it's like, I know you see in Paralympics, we have wheelchair athletes, they use a wheelchair to, you know, um, a racing chair, I should say, um, to get around the track and go places. And that's their form of running. So. I think just that freedom is the first thing that I can really think about is that it just gives you that autonomy to just be in. And it also relaxes my mind a lot of the times. And then everything else that comes with it is just the connections of connecting with people that are a part of the running journey, whether they are running or whether they just watching and just saying like, yeah, keep doing it. So, um, meeting a whole lot of people. I think that's also kept me going and building that, that good feeling of what running does for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so where do you end up going to college? Uh, I went to Tennessee state university. Did you run track there? Yep. I ran track. Um, it's a D1 school. It's um, in the OVC conference in, mm-hmm. in Nashville. So, yep, I, I was able to – that was actually one of my goals is to just run track at college. Really, obviously, everybody is – not everybody, but a lot of people are on the thing of D1, and I kind of was on that thing like, oh, I got to run at a D1 school. And I think it was more – of a matter for me that I'm visually impaired, but I'm want to be able to run against cats, against against these against these athletes that don't 
most of the times they don't even realize that I'm like, I can't really see around the track. So for me, I mean, I guess back in the day, it was kind of filling a, 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 a void, I, I would say maybe, or, or something like that, being able to be on the track and beating uh, some people that had the capability to, to see all the way ahead of them and things like that. So. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that's interesting. I'm, and I hadn't really, I hadn't thought about it before, but you, when you start, you can't see the finish. No, not at all. Huh. <laughs> not at all. In my, in my mind though. You can, mind. yeah, yeah. But no, I can't see the finish when I'm running. I really can't see too many people um, in a race. I mean, obviously if they're like right now, you're, I mean, you're supposed to be focused on uh, your race anyway. So, but I think like in the hundred, when uh, people explain it to me, they're like, you can't really see nothing anyway. Right. But for the rest of the, the other races, that becomes, uh, I would say challenging um, because since I'm a 400 meter runner, that's like navigating the whole track. And yeah, um, yeah no, I can't, I can't really make out too, too much other than what I know. I've been running track for so long, so I know I know the track. And if I get the opportunity, like at like a major championship, to go around the track, just because some tracks kind of change a little bit, I like to kind of like have little markers for myself to know. Okay, I'm at this. I'm at the top of the curve, or yeah, um, the track is a little bit more like uh what I want to say oval shape the, this track is a little bit more circle shape different things like that just so I know like what I, where I need to be and what I need to do in my race so yeah yeah that's interesting and I was going to ask cause the 400 you do take a turn right yes yeah, two turns two turns so you okay start, you start on the turn and then you do you you, you not end on a turn but you the last part of the race is a turn and a straight so yeah okay yeah i mean just i just wanted to even talk about that a little bit more like i know back in the day i used to kind of like run out my lane there's been a couple championships i got disqualified for stepping on the line or stepping over the line because still in track and field as visually impaired whether you're totally blind and you have the guy runner or whether you are just like uh t13 like me or t12 if you step on the line or over the line you still get dq they don't give you no leniency on that uh -huh. so you will uh -huh. you will get disqualified yeah so it's really navigating that because basically I guess that's what really makes you the professional athlete, especially when it comes to disabilities, because they're, they're saying, okay, we know you guys have this disability, but we still going, yeah, we're going to put some things to kind of not help you, but kind of like allow you to run around the track or jump as far as you can, but we're not going to make it easy for you guys. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And so how have you, like what strategies have you used like to, to make sure that you're, you're not 
crossing over to that next lane? Like, how are you? How are you kind of figuring that out? I guess for me, the strategy is to go around the track, at least at the beginning, like just to see, like yeah. have a foot of the track. And if I don't get that opportunity to do that, now it's just running my race and just knowing I got to, <laughs> I don't want to hug myself. I don't want to like, when I'm running, I don't want to like on those curves, I don't want to like run too far over. Cause normally I'm running on the other side and that's where I step out of the lane. But honestly, it's just focusing on my racing. I, I'm not going to lie. Just hoping that I don't step on the line. Cause if I'm so worried about that, like I said, I know I, I, I step I, I have in the past and there's actually been moments where I almost step out on the line and I have to like, kind of like, I guess, it's like, just get back into it. Just try not to step outside the lane. But honestly, it's just knowing the feeling. So I guess that's my my technique because I don't want to so focus on not trying to step out on the lane because then I'm going to like probably not run as fast. Yeah, then you're not focused on the race. You're mm-hmm. focused on something else. Yeah. Yeah. And so... One thing that I've found interesting in doing some research for this interview is, is your interest in, in fashion. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you majored in fashion merchandising in college? Yeah. I, I majored in fashion merchandising and um, I love like all things design for the most part. Like I, I, I it's something that interested me. I really was into like a lot of like fashion, fashion. Like I was really passionate about it. And now I'm in a place where I just, I like to be stylish. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, how are you pursuing your interest in fashion currently? Is it just like, are you always up on the latest trends? Like, sorry. So, uh, I mean, once you learn fashion merchandising, oh man, it's, it becomes a totally different ball game because you start to be able to understand like pretty much how all businesses work because fashion merchandising is, is, is the business of like retail and the business of like pretty much with everything that we're involved with from us using this zoom to like, cause it's merchandising too. So everything is literally, it's like economics. So um, I had to actually take design classes, but then I had to take a lot of like history and I had to take a lot of economics, marketing, and um, a lot of like, well, like merchandising classes to understand like, like wholesale stuff and like right. psychology of like fashion. And so right now um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm I'm still working on some things, um, but it's it's kind of hard to explain because it's it doesn't seem like it's in fashion. But we learned that a lot of fashion designers and fashion merchandisers they go out and do multiple things. So um, right now I'm working on my master's in information systems, which is actually helping me even more because that's like 
computer science, IT and business once again, like, but it's like all together. Yep. And so that I have this brand now, if you guys can still follow me, but I have this brand and I want to get into like animation because like, well, I'll say this, I've already been in the animation world, but I actually want to work in music, animation, like all of that stuff together. And I kind of want to kind of build like some partnerships and being able to get like contracts with like different, I, I can't even explain where my brain is going and where my mind is like yeah. at, at I'm still coming up with the concept, but I would say that my fashion merchandising degree actually has helped me all the way up until now because it's, like I said, we learned about different people and what they did. Like, um, we learned about, like, I can't remember some of their names, but there were some really big fashion designers that went to go work for Disney or they went to go work for some other type of place um they weren't just like designers and stuff like that so um, i've been able to utilize just like all of the like the design classes that i had to take um business and merchandising classes and now it's it's kind of forming into some more and some some great great things to to come um but yeah yeah that's cool mm-hmm and What's do you have a favorite fashion brand? Man, nah, not really. Uh, I like all fashion, so yeah, yeah. I mean, back when I was in school, I felt like I mean, it might have been someone a little bit fresher than me, but I felt like, like you asked me, do I follow trends? And I, I don't necessarily follow trends because, like I said, I kind of understand fashion and I understand. I'll, I'll give you guys a secret that all trends are the same trends that happen over and over and over again. You just don't realize it like because they're so spread out but every seven years that there's a trend that was already a trend seven to eight years ago so i don't have to follow trends only because i understand the fashion world and right. i just that's why i said uh i dress like i just wear what i i want to wear i guess yeah um, but i was gonna say back in college and and uh, I felt like I was like the freshest man on campus. I, <laughs> I, I would wear what I want to wear, whatever shoes, like my Nikes or Adidas. Um, I, I was wearing the skinny jeans and, and I, I still do, but I, I was wearing like the colorful skinny jeans and, and stuff like that. And yeah, it's just, and people will always be asking me like, man, what are you wearing? I'm like, Hey, and now, and then a year or two later, everyone started doing the same thing. And then I wasn't doing it no more because I'm like, oh, no, I'm off of that. Yeah, you're ahead of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now yeah. I'm on this thing of just, I'm not even going to lie. I'm on this thing of like, what I like being stylish, but with the most simplest like color kind of coordination, kind of like just the black, black t shirt white t-shirt but it's more about the, like the swag like your style like how you feel when you're like going out so I, i've kind of been on that thing more because i'm normally wearing a lot of colors but now lately i've kind of like just 
more of like, like I said, black, white kind of t-shirt and then kind of like making, sorry, making, um, it, uh, making the colors kind of stand out a little bit, uh, with like my accessories. Okay. Yeah. So like still the shoes kind of uh, is a thing, but like, kind of like, a, like something on my wrist or my Apple watch or something like that, or a hat or whatever it may be. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so, so where, where do you see your career going after your running career is over? Like what, what would you like to do? Man. Um, well, I am working on, once again, my master's in information systems Honestly, I'm working on it now, man. Uh, yeah. Honest, yeah. Like I'm, 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 I'm figuring out what I want to do. There's so many. I feel like gifts that I have to offer and give to other people, whether it's going to work for someone else or working for myself. I, I definitely have this thing about working for myself only because it's kind of what I know. I've been doing it like since I started running track uh, professionally in 2000, excuse me, in 2012. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily sure, but I do know that I'm working on this move progress brand right here. Yep. And I do know that I'm wanting to, uh, once again, like I, I've been working on, music because music is a part of animation um so whether it's music for people videos or actual like when i say animation i'm talking about like 2d and 3d kind of like animation like cartoons or like the movies that you see uh also working on like videos that were i've been doing youtube editing those videos trying to like work on those skills so if I'm going to go work for like a big company or if I get contracted to like work on my skills in that, because yeah, I mean, I feel like getting those type of things is something that I, I want to do. I know that's kind of like a hard road to get to, but I, I think it's definitely doable. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll be skilled enough. I know with this technology and me, using a different software for me to be able to see, like I use a lot of Apple products. It has turned a lot of things around for, I think a lot of visually impaired people. Yeah, man, it's, I mean, nothing good comes easy. And uh, it sounds like yeah. you're kind of building the skills now to prepare you for whatever avenue you choose to go mm -hmm. down in the future. So I think that's pretty mm -hmm. smart. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I also, I was just thinking, I also have the information systems, which is really understanding all of technology anyway. And I feel like I have that skill to, if I really, 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 really needed to or wanted to, I could go and get experience and go and work somewhere and help them with their technology, help them with their systems. I, I know how to code a little bit. I can keep practicing uh, like, coding like creating databases for so i mean i'm i'm learning all these skills it's just that i feel like i want to use it for like 
my stuff, <laughs> my right. work that I do. But once again, like you, you always gotta have that backup, that, that backup plan. So I feel like I, I can can also do that for other people as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so getting back to running now, mm-hmm. when do you start to like really set your sights on becoming a Paralympian? Mm-hmm. I would say 2004. I think my, I can't, I, I think my dad, like we were, my dad put, got me involved with, uh, I would say blind sports. I would say 2000. 2001 he found out about this uh i found out about this uh what's it called the mid-atlantic sports blind sports and sorry if i get the name wrong you guys if you guys see this but um i believe we started he started me with that because i've always played sports with everyone else but my dad wanted to find when he found out there were things that I could do with other visually impaired and blind kids. He got me involved with, with that. And um, through that, I kind of like, you know, was watching and kind of playing around, like playing the different recreation sports with the kids and stuff like that. But I, I want to say 2004 was when the first time I actually learned about the Paralympic Games. But I always wanted to be an Olympian but there was this thing when I was younger of like not being visually impaired because I wanted to be quote unquote accepted with mm-hmm. like the other kids. And so I don't think I really had the bug of being a Paralympian until my mom and dad took me to nationals because I qualified to go to nationals because I was always running in 2006. So I remember watching the Paralympic Games. I didn't have a bad attitude towards it. Like I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's, 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 I didn't know about it. And I was like, all right, that's, that's cool. And I, my dad was telling me and I'm like, well, I'm gonna be a Paralympian and Olympian. Not really, not realizing that they were the same. And so 2006 is when I really, really, really was like, yeah, okay. I'm going to be a Paralympian. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what's the what's the road or process to becoming a Paralympian? Like, are there certain? I would guess there's certain like qualifier events every year that you have to compete in, like around the country. Yeah, um, you have to compete, and you got to make sure that you have your competitions like IPC uh, certified, so that you can get a time on the ranking list so your time has to like qualify you to like compete internationally but then you also have to go through the u.s process which our standards are normally like the highest standards to make a team so just because you're on the national team doesn't mean you'll make the like world team or the like games or a championship, you got to still run at nationals to qualify you. So there's a lot of different qualifications that you got to have to compete for the, for the national team and really to, 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 to make a championships. I know for me, 
there's been times where I haven't been on the national team, but I've made an actual, I made a team, um, like whether it was like a world championships overseas somewhere or like a pair of Pan American games. But there's also been times where I've actually, and it's only been a few times, thank God, but um, there's been a few times where I was on the national team and I didn't make a, a championship. So you got to really put in a lot of work and continue to train. So. Okay. And mm -hmm. you mentioned something before about like wanting to be like accepted and like kind of like fit in with, with the normal kids. When, when you were younger, were you like very like not really accepting of your disability? You know, I just want to be like a like quote unquote normal kid. Like, um, I think there were times I would definitely say more times of not accepting than accepting. I think when I play sports for me, I was accepting of the sport. And so it didn't matter whether I had a visually impaired, a visual impairment or not. And I was more confident in saying that I'm visually impaired, I guess, when I was a kid playing sports then like maybe in school or maybe um, different things because school was kind of challenging for me um, in a sense that it wasn't that I wasn't smart or whatever you want to call like learning. It, I, I had a learning disability, but it was the fact that I was trying to learn and I guess teachers and people were trying to teach me to learn like how other people learn versus how I need to learn as a visually impaired person. Right. And so me fitting in was always had to really do about it. Is it, it always had to, what it really had to do with is me in the learning setting and seeing all the other kids and seeing how they're learning and seeing how they're doing this and how they're doing that or how, everyone in the world is doing this and I'm not able to do it in that way. So I guess that's what I didn't accept of the visual impairment. It's like that fire that we talked about earlier, like the motivation, like, Oh no, I have to do this. And until I was able to change my thinking and the fact that that didn't matter, that's when I kind of started to be more confident. But yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was trying to fit in though. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. I think all kids, though, try to fit in with right. each other. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. What are the, and so what are the events that you compete in primarily? Uh, the 400 and the long jump. Um, I've competed in a lot of events, but yeah, the 400 and long jump. Okay. Do you have a favorite event? Oh, man. No and yes. It's confusing now. <laughs> I've competed in so many events and, and I actually have been good at at them all. I, I think I think I actually could be a decathlon athlete. And I actually think I might make the able body nationals in the decathlon. The only thing is you got the pole vault and you got the hurdles that you have to worry about. And her, I, I know you've seen those YouTube videos where those hurdlers and they they fall or whatever. Yeah. Men's hurt really high. So I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure 
But yeah, favorite event. That's that's challenging now because the four hundred meters. That's a love and hate relationship. But I still, I'm still running it. So obviously, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, long jump is exciting. The hundred meters I've run before, and with the hundred meters, yeah, that's an exciting and like thrilling event. 800 meters. I, I did that in high school, and I, I actually missed the 800 meters. So that, yeah, I think just all of the events, any event that I can do, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, they also yeah. Have something different to offer. Yeah, I mean, I I I would be a shot putter if I if I was big <laughs> enough for if I get nice, big, and strong. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in your quest to becoming a Paralympian were there any really low points for you when you thought like man you know like I might not be able to make it I won't say low points but I will say in 2008 I was like supposed I mean I'm just going to say it like that yeah I was supposed to actually I'm supposed to be able to say three-time Paralympian by now but if it didn't happen it really wasn't supposed to happen but I missed out on that team, and it was because I had got injured. And I think that to answer your question, I think that was really challenging to see that, yeah, I know I was young, 18 years old and things like that, but I, I was running really, really good. Uh, I, I was a really good athlete um, at that point. And um, what happened is I went to nationals, and I wasn't able to – I wasn't able to deliver running the time that I was supposed to run Um, because you still have to run a certain time, whether you're getting first, second, third, or sometimes it's just about time at our nationals because there's not as many Paralympians or Paralympic hopefuls in the U.S. Like we still have a lot of people that come out to nationals, but there's so many different classes. So sometimes We've built it to the point now where there there's multiple people in our classifications, but back in the day, it may have been one or two people and you had to like, it's like a time trial versus, versus you actually like racing, like your big competition. You won't see those, that big comp, you wouldn't see that big competition until you actually get to the championships and stuff like that. So okay. you would have to do time trial uh, like, well, it would be like a time trial. Like, you have to, like, run really fast. And I would say that that, in 2008, when I wasn't able to make the Beijing Paralympics, that was kind of a low point for me. I had something to look for forward to, which was going to college um, and trying to make the next games. But yeah. I can definitely say that was a hard lesson because – now, any athlete that's a younger athlete or a newer athlete, I always tell them to stay humble because it doesn't matter how fast they are. doesn't matter how fast you think you are. Things can happen or just on a given day, you just not have a good day or, or someone comes along that you never even thought were, was like <laughs> in the Paralympics and they come and they 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 beat you or whatever it may be. So I always tell people to stay humble. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's great advice. And what was the injury that you had? Uh man, I strained both of my calves. It's funny. Um, I it's, I I wasn't doing what I was supposed to to do. At I guess at eighteen, you didn't you don't understand like hydration as much as you 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 uh you think you do or I mean maybe you don't but yeah I had strained both of my calves um okay. basically just not hydrating that's how it happened um and I caught charlie horses and yeah uh they got strained and it took like 4 weeks for me to come back from it so okay now I drink water all the time that's why you yeah don't want that to happen again yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so do you have a coach that you work with? Yep. 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 I have a coach. His name is coach. Uh, his name is Jeremy Fisher. He uh, trains at the, he uh, coaches out of the Olympic training site in Trula Vista. It used to be the Olympic training center. Um, it's in Trula Vista, California. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what was the experience like for you in your first Paralympic games? Man, I can't even, I can paint the picture, but I can't even explain how amazing that is. Like, just to get to this level of this sport or this thing that you've been working at for pretty much all of your life. I mean, I started running track at 10 and 12 years later, I'm at this place where you have tons of athletes from around the world trying to do the same thing that you're doing and trying to go after the gold medal and representing your country and representing your family and your friends. And just, it's a true honor to really just make it to that point to be able to compete for what Paralympics means, but then also just like all of the like support and crowd and like the people that come that my first my first uh Paralympics they say were like the greatest hype of the Paralympics thus far. Literally. So London 2012, our first Paralympic Games there literally were 90,000 people in a track and field stadium every single like 80 to 90,000 people every single day of the games and that's just for track and field the other places were crowded too swimming uh cp soccer uh blonde soccer gold ball with all the fencing um i mean there's so many different sports in paralympics um powerlifting and there were crowds of people at each state, at each like venue. And I have never seen anything like that before. And I mean, I kind of like knew what to expect, but only because they were like the, the, just the Paralympic world was hyping everything up and just saying Beijing was like, it was the thing and they were saying to 2012 London, they, they were saying this is going to be like the, the like thing to top. And I think honestly, it is probably still the, the games to top with the support that all of the people 
around the world, but just in London and just in Europe, they were able to give to all of the Paralympic athletes. So it's, I, I, don't, I can't even, like I said, I can't even explain that experience other than just amazing. And probably there's probably some other words that maybe I could paint that picture, but yeah, 90,000 people every single day, you get yeah. to compete for your country and your family and it didn't matter about the gold medal or not, even though that's what you want to get. It just the fact that you were there and the fact that you got to experience that and just try, I think, man, like that was, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Did the, did the crowds, did those huge crowds, do you think that that helped you in your performance? Yeah, I think so. Um, but honestly, I don't, I mean, maybe definitely in long jump 400, <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> it hurts the 400 hurts regardless whether it's the same it's the same at at uh in practice it's the same at uh, <laughs> a big stadium with tons of people after you get to a certain point it doesn't matter who's around you you're trying to get to that finish line <laughs> but long jump yeah definitely long jump is is more of a a exciting thrilling event 400 is more of a nerve-wracking and like an accomplishment type of event like oh man i did it like mm -hmm. type of thing so um but yeah ninety thousand people definitely helped me uh get through that 400 <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny mm -hmm. and uh so what's your goal for tokyo um honestly it's the same gold as always get a gold medal yeah man that's the gold as always so run fast gold medal break a couple records <laughs> and uh yeah be great <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah i mean i'm i, I want to run the i'm going to run the 400 and i'm still going to uh go for a long jump and um really just trying to uh, I haven't won a medal at the actual games yet. I've gotten fifth, sixth, eighth, finals, different things like that. But yeah, honestly, it doesn't matter the medal, but of course I want the gold medal. But mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get on that podium and, and really just run fast, man. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what does your weekly training schedule look like? On a normal basis right now, we're on a little bit of a kind of a break, per se, for the, for the month of September since we've been training through this whole time of the, the pandemic. But on a normal basis, it's Monday. I mean, sometimes it can be through Sunday, depending, but Monday, Monday through Saturday, um, lifting weights two to three times a week, and doing track workouts for probably about at the most track works track workouts four times but for me because i'm a 400 meter runner i have to do other type of workouts so like cross training workouts whether it's in the pool or whether it's just like getting some type of cardio i've learned how to get more cardio if i need to stay in place um i don't know how good i would be on a running tip, but I would be in shape. It's like doing burpees, like that definitely gets you 
in 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 some good heart pumping shape. Oh yeah, um, burpees will do that. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And honestly, um, so just running just depends like 20 to 30 minutes maybe two three times a week so pretty much i'm i'm working out every single day i would say depending on the time of the season it can be uh, two hours a day or it can be three to four hours probably about four or five days out of the week four days out of the week and then maybe 30 to 45 minutes on like certain days just depending on the, the the activity so okay and and then it also depends because sometimes i'm doing three a days in a sense where i'm when i say three a days i'm i'm training three times so basically going to the track going to the weight room and then doing a long a, a longer run okay mm-hmm. got it do you incorporate yeah, yeah. a lot of stretching into your training? Oh yeah, that's like the first thing that you do. You know, you you warm up, you foam roll, foam roll, and um, I mean the 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 stretching and the warm up is part of the workout. I mean that takes right now. Haven't been able. Well, it's not that I've been able. Haven't been able to. It's more of warming up when I'm doing the jog to get into my like longer run. But on a normal basis, you will run around the track and then we do a lot of foam rolling and a lot of like different little like things that incorporate kind of like what I want to say prehab. So like how you rehab is also prehab. So preventative, like before you get injured. So things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you stretch before and after or the workout? Um, a lot more before, a lot of dynamic stretching. Right. Versus static stretching. And after, it's more of like doing more prehab stuff. Like when I was – I still go to the training center, Um, not during this time, but on a normal basis, I would be – going to the training center maybe every other month or something like that. And so they have like this uh, facility that has like all of like the stretch bands and the different things that you need to do to make sure you uh, like not get injured. But uh, I kind of like incorporated that stuff here. So I have a lot of bands. I think I'll probably have one sitting Somewhere I'm actually laying on something right now. It's a pad. Uh, well, I guess you can't see it because of the virtual. But um, I do a lot of like myofascia release. So yep. like a cross ball. You got the hyper ice uh, thing uh, massage. The hyper ice ball spear. Um, let me get get the name right just in case they want to uh, sponsor me. <laughs> um, the the right. hyper ice beer, you got the the hyper ice. Uh, oh, cool! You have that. How was yeah, that? Yeah. Oh man, awesome. Yeah. Man, I was. Uh, I, I I've known about this for like five years, and because the my uh, training group back at the training center has it, and I'm like, ah, oh, 
I didn't get one. But they, like, you know, they cost a good little penny. And if you try to save your money, <laughs> you know. So I finally got one this year. So I was excited. Yeah. I was excited. They, I think Hyperice actually sent me that. I, I really appreciate them. So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Do you use do you use any like fitness tracking device? Um, Apple Watch really right now. Okay. Um, other than that, I was using I used to use a TomTom. Mm-hmm. Um, I also was using uh what's the name of that watch? Uh, I'm not sh- I can't even remember. I was using them for a while, mm-hmm. but Unfortunately, because it's not able to like stop and do a stopwatch type of thing, I was just like, I'm just gonna go back to my Apple Watch because the Apple Watch couldn't do it either. So I was just like, the Apple Watch is for me is better. Right. Um, and I just kind of sometimes when I'm on my run, I kind of just use a basic, like, cause it's hard to see the time on my Apple Watch when I'm running, cause I have to look so close to it. I use a basic like Timex watch, like wrist watch. So I have, I, I'm like the watchman. I got, I'm, I'm double. I, I, I'm, I got two watches on my wrist. Yeah. Um, other than that, no other tracking per se. No, I would like to track my sleep a little bit better. That's mm-hmm. what the watch that I had before was doing, but I know they have a couple of rings out there there that will do that if you wear a ring yeah like they have the i think it's called a ooh, the aura aura aura, 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 ring. aura yeah the aura ring i yeah. really i really want that ring i also know that amazon has come out with a ring too but i'm not sure which one is is better but yeah i definitely would want to try that do you do you use one uh no i use uh i use a whoop i don't know if you've heard oh, of whoop okay. yeah I actually have a whoop and I don't know how to set it up. Out of oh, all really? the technology that I know how to do, I don't know how to set up the whoop. I, I get frustrated every time I look at it. <laughs> <laughs> is it a watch or do you have a, the watch version or it's only one version? Uh, yeah, I have the, I don't know if you can see it. It's like a strap. It's like yeah, a bracelet. Strap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm going to have to call you again so you can help me. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, definitely. Definitely you got a, like, call. pay or something like that? Yeah, it's like a subscription. Okay, got you. I think that's where I keep getting getting frustrated. I'm like, hold on, is this free or you got to pay for it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's different. Yeah, it's like a subscription. So you don't actually like, it's like a one-time payment. It's like Oh, month. okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah, it's funny because my coach, one of my uh, coaches, um, this is a coach that's on the national team. Um, He was asking me, He's like, how's the whoop? Cause they actually provided me it. And I'm like, uh, and he, he's like, do you know how to set it up? Cause I guess he wants to use it. Um, cause he still runs. He's actually an Olympian, but I'm not going to put him out. Now I'm gonna put him out on blast. Uh, <laughs> his name is Joaquin. He's a, a Brazilian uh, Olympic gold medalist, but he, you know, he still works out and he still like trains. And so he wanted to know, how to use the whoop and I, <laughs> I told him i said i don't know i texted him and i and unfortunately i wasn't able to help him out because i'm like i really don't know how to uh activate it yeah. and i know he 
few of them in his office. So I think he's trying to like, hopefully he figured it out. Somebody else probably helped him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a little, it's a little um, difficult to figure out, but uh, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Definitely cool. give me a call if you want some help with that. Okay. How, how, how long? I know you, I know you're interviewing me, but now I'm about to interview about the whoop. <laughs> How long does it last? The interview? No, no, the whoop. Oh. The whoop. <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, like on a charge, you mean? Yeah. Uh, five days, I think. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, so it's pretty good. Cool. But uh, yeah, getting back on track. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, 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 it's all good. Um. So I know that you're, you're really into like, like mental performance and mindset too. Mm -hmm. Like, are there any exercises that you do to like train your mind? Definitely. Um, uh, well, first I got, I got to highlight this is just the training of your mind, just period, like in life, that's the most important thing. I think I kind of like didn't have that at one point. And now I'm at a place where I like, I'm at that. So like my life, mind training is more of just like having a good mindset. It's uh, incorporating meditation. Um, also, we do some yoga for our, our training, but I also use that for like recovery for my mind. Like I said, mantra meditation, different things like that. And so that's the first thing that I think that you have to like do first or after you do the, the mental training for the, uh, af like the, the athletic part. But then when it comes to competing and training, I use the same type of techniques for the like life kind of thing, the life kind of like mental part. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say I kind of like set a time for like a mental, like a mental time. And I still actually have it, the alarm on my phone, even though I'm not in that mode right now. Uh, it's eight at eight o'clock. I literally, how can I say, like visualize, do visualization of my race. I'm not doing as much right now, but my alarm is still set so it turns it cuts off on eight o'clock and i know that okay that's my visualization so every single day when i'm in that mode of like about to compete and i'm training i'm starting to visualize uh myself through 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 a race or through a jump or or at the stadium or wherever i'm at or if it's at a specific track if i'm about to just be at a local track meet i'm like visualizing that type of thing at eight o'clock normally like monday through i would say monday through friday so that's something that i incorporate i also love using uh the sports psychologists that uh they provide to us they they really help especially even if you have it all together they still can help ease a lot of those nerves that you might have um, because like anything can be stressful, but when you're competing and you want to do great and you've like made sure you've done everything that you could do the whole entire year and you're at this point, you're still in a frenzy 
and you're kind of panicking. So uh, using a sports psychologist throughout the year, I think is something that I love to do. And I incorporate also just, I would say the last thing about the mental just piece that I love to incorporate is self-talk. When you like aren't feeling it on a particular day, sometimes you got to self-talk and say, come on, let's go. You know, you got to like get yourself in the mode. It's not necessarily about getting hype, but it's like, come on, what are you doing? Like get off your butt and like go do what you need to do. Um, go train, go, go to work, go wherever, whatever it is. Um, and so I think that when it comes to my training, there are times where, you know, my body's tired or I'm feeling some type of way, but I'm, I have to push myself some way. So that self-talk and that self-motivation is like, all right, come on, let's go. So I use a lot of those techniques. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And mm -hmm. so have, have you seen uh, the visualization? Like, has that been really helpful for you? Like, have you seen like improvements as a result? Do you think, like, can you connect the dots? Excuse me. Sorry about that. Significantly, I would say the visualization is something that my dad kind of incorporated when I was younger, but I didn't understand it. And I used it like maybe like right before a race. But then when I talked to, I didn't really start doing the visualization like every single day until I talked to this one sports psychologist that she kind of like was saying, you should use that every, like every day. And then when it gets to like the big, big time thing, start visualizing yourself actually in that big time place like you know the feeling or you may can imagine the feeling and so i think that that helps me especially with the 400 kind of like calm my nerves down and then that also uh kind of trickles over to just other things so like when like if i'm doing a motivational speech and maybe it's like a big crowd, like I can visualize those things. So right. I think that that actually has helped me beyond like the track. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, so. it, it's, about, it's about meditating. It's about feeling good, but it's not about like, it's not about, how can I say, it's not about like, flaunting your ego like oh i'm the man i'm in this space but it's like i'm the man i'm here i'm there like i've done everything that i needed to do to get to this point and whatever it may be or for like say like i'm speaking to like uh, a whole group of people i can visualize myself like i'm not here for myself i'm here for these people to be a part of what they're a part of so I can visualize those thoughts and actually just be in the presence of, of, of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So getting into these last handful of questions here, mm -hmm. what athletes have been the biggest influences for you? Um, my cousin <laughs> <laughs> say this all the time. 
even though, I mean, maybe he knows, I think he knows by now, but my cousin Gerald, honestly, still an athlete to me. My dad, my grandfather, my uncle Kevin, um, they're athletes to me in my mind. I mean, yeah, like my dad, he, he, he was an athlete when he was in high school. And so they're kind of like the biggest influences. Um, other than that, there's definitely been some influential people that I've looked up to outside of like my family, but my family's definitely first. Let me see. Of course, the inspiration of Michael Jordan and his just willingness of just doing it over and over and over again, just like practice, yeah. how important practice and how important just his craft was. So just understanding that, that was something like he kind of was just like laser focused on when you when you hear his, his stories and things like that and what he did. Um, and of course, Kobe was really, Kobe Bryant was really somebody I, I, I looked up to um, as an athlete, for sure. I, mean, I had a poster, which I'm pretty sure everyone did, but I had this big giant poster thing that my parents bought me when I was a kid. And so he was in my room, you know, the, the this big old giant poster was in my room for all the way up until I was like 18 years old. Um, let me see, in track and field, I definitely had some people that I look up to and I still do. Um, I, I like the way they, they carry themselves or how they go. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I've met these people, and I, I, I can say that we, I won't, I don't, not necessarily friends, but we're, I, I would say we're friends. I met them a few times, like Allison Felix, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a, a phenomenal athlete, somebody I look up to. I, I, I like her willingness to keep going, because I mean she's got a whole baby now, and she's been at multiple games, and she's still going. Sonia Richards Ross, somebody that I actually, when I was in, in college, I won this kind of competition that she had. And um, she saw me at Penn Relays one time and she, you know, called me out and was like, hey, Marquise, or whatever, right before my race. And that kind of like helped me because it was like for athletes that wanted to make it to like that professional uh, level and mm -hmm. uh, I was kind of there but I still was running at like D1 so um, at that point I had made different championships and stuff like that but yeah those are some athletes but definitely my parents and definitely my, my dad my grandfather my, yeah. my cousin yeah for sure okay yeah, be up. and I and I, I can't I can't I can't go out and leave my roommate, my great friend, uh, his name's Lex Gillette. I can't leave him off of the, he's really somebody that I, I admire and, um, and really look up to a lot. So. Awesome. And so let's say we meet again, like on the street in five years, what would you want to be telling me that you've accomplished or created since this conversation?
five years. Yep. I made the Tokyo 2021 games, came back, made the podium. Uh, I actually, you said five years, so I actually made another games. (laughs) (laughs) Paris. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Some more championships. Uh, I got, I kind of got the business kind of rolling, got my animation, got some, some, some good things going, maybe, maybe a couple animated motion picture movies or something like that. Yeah. Don't know. I mean, or it could just be one or two contracts, but, um, that I've, that I've started at least. Yeah. Like in a sense, I mean, cause animation goes with ads. You can do ads for people and stuff like that but it's up and rolling and yeah i would say with that those things just have the business kind of up and rolling and it's it's starting to help other people like literally like i may be having a couple people work for me uh or work for the business i should say and it's still doing my track thing and i also have a foundation so Hopefully that will still be growing. Um, that's a, a business that I have going on. It's helping uh, the visually impaired and blind community. So maybe okay. that is a little bit bigger because of the business that's actually like there to make money, I guess, because of it's, it's kind of like entertainment and things like that. Yep. That business could actually help fuel the foundation even more. Okay. So I would say those things and there's probably a lot more, but I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. What does your daily routine look like? Daily routine. Normally it's, it's been, it's been different now, but normally I wake up, make breakfast, um make breakfast get prepared to go out to the track it's not necessarily on a given time because of how i kind of function is a little different than the normal person um but then i since i'm in school i i I look at what i need to do for my my classwork online because it's an online school and um maybe do some classwork, then look at some important things for what I need to do for business-wise, whether it's with move progress or something that I need to network with, uh, with the foundation, like trying to find places to go network at. And then I go train. And And then as I'm training, I'm actually still doing kind of schoolwork. So I'm kind of like, since I have like audio books, I'm listening to my books. Sometimes I'm listening to music, but a lot of times I'm listening to like the audio book so that I can make sure I can do my work later on. So I'll be training, I'll eat, and then maybe train some more. So um, then come home, cause I gotta walk my dog. Cause wife walks the dog in the morning, I walk the dog in the afternoon. 
and cook some dinner. And a lot of times, my dinner is I've, if if I'm cooking the dinner, it's like already prepared. I okay. guess after I'll cook it on a given day, and like I'll kind of like batch cook. So at least for like three days, I'll have like meals so that I can eat. Since you know, meal cooking and meal preparation can kind of be challenging sometimes. So eat, spend time with my wife, and then you know, do some more work <laughs> while I'm probably watching TV or whatever it may be. So, yep, yep. No kids yet, so don't have to rip and run around for that right now. Just taking care of the dog. That's about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so as is the name of the podcast, the Driving Force podcast, mm-hmm. what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life? Hmm. I'm going to just say God, man. Honestly, the fire that and the gift that he's given to me of, like, effort. So God giving me the effort to give an effort, like, my full effort. I would say that that's, like, my driving factor. Like, I, it, I have to try. I have to at least attempt to go do what I feel called to do. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then yeah, lastly yeah. here, before we wrap up, what parting words of motivation or advice would you like to leave the people listening around staying committed and driven? Man, the first thing is the, my move progress, like not trying to like sell it or anything in that matter. Just cause it started out as motivation for me. <coughs> Excuse me. It started out as motivation for me and it was about moving through those times and moving and progressing through those times even when like I didn't feel like I was going anywhere like I felt like I still was at that same place so uh, or, or, or it felt like a not a good place to be in and so I would say keep moving and keep progressing and, and and taking your time while you're doing it. It doesn't always have to be like super fast. You don't have to be Usain Bolt. You know, you don't have to be breaking records out here to to continue to to strive for whatever it may be that you're going after. And so I would say take your time, keep moving, and keep progressing. Awesome. That's a great place to end. Markeith, thanks again for coming on, man. This is great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Where can people go to find you online and, and on social media? Uh, social media is easy. It's at Markeith Price. Any of the social media is from Instagram to Twitter to YouTube. Um, so it's at Markeith Price, M-A-R-K-E-I-T-H-P-R-I-C-E. And then I also have... Oh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. And I also have a podcast that I'm working on. It's uh, Move Progress. So uh, you can see that on Spotify. Awesome. And you all can also visit my website, ChaseRosa.com, and follow me on Instagram at ChaseRosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks, everyone who's listening, and see you next time.